Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Photographer Justin Jay just dropped a new episode of The Plug with Justin Jay with four-time world champ Lisa Anderson. Did you lose your love of surfing at any point or was it always there? This is such a good question because I have been going through such a transition with just that. Yeah, I absolutely hated surfing for quite a while. It was like a like a, a relationship with someone that you were deeply in love with and that just completely fell apart. I realized, okay, I just want to have fun. And to be able to not have that approach to where you have to kick ass every time you pile out or be at a certain level was something I had to really let go of and find the fun in surfing and find the solitude and the, the freedom in it again and appreciate it for what it was. You can find The Plug with Justin Jay wherever you are listening to this, any podcast app, or on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. Chaz Smith, welcome back to The Grit. It is August 25th, 2023. Cannot believe this month is almost over, David Lee. We are almost into the holiday season. I just saw, was at a Home Depot the other day? Full Halloween decorations, already ready to go. Crazy. Yep. Yeah, it is, it's basically 2024, if you really think yep. about it. It is. I mean, it is. We got a bunch of birthdays in September in the family, so it's like... That makes the month go quickly when it's just one birthday a week, essentially. You're kind of just all these baby steps that you're planning for and cleaning up from. And then so September goes by like that. And then October, obviously, Halloween and then Thanksgiving, Christmas. Boom, it's already done. Done. And then you're basically summer again. And now we are all 76 and life is over. Yeah, that's the way of the world now. Yep. Well, hey, um, we got a couple of things to catch up on. First, we should shout out our sponsors, drinkag one dot com slash surf um sunbum as always sunbum.com promo code surf splendor 15 and buell always coming at you buellsurf.com so i figure we have the finest sponsors of anybody in the space i think if we had a the grit surfboard people would look at our nose they would look at you know our various placements around the board and think man these guys are the a team well, it's all things that we use and that are part of our daily life. So we could add a red wine sponsor in. I could use that. You know, that's a functional thing in my daily life. 
How do we not have that, to be honest? I don't know how we don't. We've kind of gotten away from booze talk, I suppose, from boozy episodes and boozy talk. But That's, uh, that's true. I was wondering I, if you were slowing down on drinking. Yeah, I'm slow. It's coming up, coming up on Anvil right now, too, oh, okay. September. Yeah. Okay. Well, we don't officially have a booze or red wine sponsor, but we do have uh, winery folk that listen to the show. So I can give a shout out right now to Dragonette Winery in Santa Barbara County. They make phenomenal wines. They do give me a discount. Um, and I've utilized that for gift giving purposes around the holidays and stuff. But for anybody who's around Santa Barbara, Dragonette is world class. No Dragonette joke. is a phenomenal name. I know it is, right? For a, for a wine. Is it a female dragon? No. Is that their, is that their logo? <laughs> That's funny. Um, the owner's co-owner's last name is Dragonette. Wow. And they're, you're, you're telling me. You're telling me the name of the winery is Dragonette. Last name, fine enough. But that their, their logo is not a female dragon. No, it really should be. Or it could be yeah. a baby dragon, right? No, I think it's. I think the okay. et is mostly female. I mean, it okay. could be a baby female dragon. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna design them up one. I'm gonna design go like, remember Napoleon Dynamite's cool drawings? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna design them a cool female dragon, and I'm gonna. I'll give it to you, and you can pass that on to them free of charge. Will do. Maybe they'll gift you some wine in in return okay. or something. Great. Great. Um. At any rate, uh, coming off of our shows, talking about male. I mean, misogyny and a acknowledging that gender exists or or that you know not acknowledging but um claiming that two genders exist and all that sort of stuff for shame on us i know um i'm gonna we have an even more polarizing show today the most polarizing show that we've ever done we're gonna go politics we're gonna go racial discussion great climate change is up to to discuss i love it i don't have an abortion story queued up but if you want to come up with one we could throw (laughs) that in too just so that we cover all of our bases i love the most polarizing show ever is i'm I'm looking forward to this one well you know what i was thinking about i'm i feel like the end times are near yeah i'm like is the world actually ending it feels like it is between cataclysmic climate events uh the president being indicted, like all of the things that, I mean, and by the way, society is just run completely amok. Crumbling. Completely crumbling. crumbling, right? I mean, like, do you see those um, uh, theft group robberies yeah, where everybody, yeah. 50 people smash run, and smash and grabs, 50 people run into Nordstrom. And it's like so much pandemonium. They're overwhelmed security, of course. So all security and all the staff basically stands around filming and everybody takes what they want and then runs out of the store. I'm watching that going, this is the world we live in. This is modern civilization. And not only modern civilization, this is like the peak of uh, modern civilization. These are in, This is in an expensive store in an expensive, like the highest um, uh, real estate areas, Beverly Hills, things like this. Like this is modern society at this point. I mean, we are like as evolved theoretically as humans have ever been. This is we today, this very day is like peak human. And this is what we got. This is us at our best. Yeah. And it's, I think this is when Rome fell. You know what I mean? Or the Mayans yeah. got, you know, whatever. It's like it, it grows to a certain peak. And then, I don't know, you just, you're not working hard anymore for it. You're not trying to grow. You're just so bloated and hedonistic that it all crumbles beneath you. I mean, the the amount of self uh, 
to me, that's what it, it's like the self-absorption of the only thing that matters on this world is me. Yes. Uh, and having that as your like fully, which, yeah, I was at uh, Fish 101 here the other day. Fish yeah. 101 is a great restaurant. Uh, I think there's two locations, one in Lucadia, one in Cardiff-by-the-Sea. Great, you know, wonderful place. Standing in line with a young daughter. Uh, some dude came in and just cut in front and said, I'm going to cut in front of you because I got to put in a big order. And then start, he, he like, verbally no, said that? Yeah, to me. And he then all his people were spread around the restaurant. So he started shouting out, hey, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And I said, excuse me. No, like you could have asked me if you could have said, hey, man, I got a big order, even though this is really weird to cut in front of two people uh, with your and you're not prepared and whatever. But I was like ask just ask be polite enough to say may i right i would have said yes even though it would have been a silly thing to do whatever you know like you do you but to tell me that's what you're gonna do and i was just thinking pondering on, upon it and thinking this is exactly the problem is this bloated piece of crap dude who is so oblivious and so selfish that this is how he operates in his day-to-day life which is i feel around the world that's just what we got now or around america at least well so how did that come how did that end did, did I mean, they take his order and let him cut? Or Yeah, of course. They were all like, you know, it's a teenage kid behind the register. And the owner came over to me and we had a nice discussion. And he was like, you know, I'm sorry. But, but there's nothing, you know, I'm sorry that Weird. people like this exist is the is all you can say. And I wasn't about to get, you know, I'm with the kid. She, she, you know, I've tried to tamp down on my hot-headedness. Uh, nobody wants to see a fight in Fish 101, exactly. right? Yeah, and yeah. so I just said, look, that you know, you could have been polite and I would have you could have gone, right? But you're an ass, and so just, you know, that's it. But that's the end of the conversation is you're an ass. Well, so I had a similar experience at Target last Sunday where it was a Sunday morning. I'm with Austin. So a same similar to you where you're going to be kind of on your best behavior in that scenario, but um, the self-checkout was 10 people deep, and the human being checkout was only two people deep. So I'm like, no brainer. I'm going into the human being one, right? And then even though the self-checkout has six registers, so that line might actually move quicker. And of course, I'm going to jump in the shorter line and then watch the other line to figure out where I would have gotten out first, you know? But anyways, the uh, young girl who was paying, her card wasn't working. So I'm like, oh, great. So now this is going to take additional time. Well, it turns out her young boyfriend was with her. They must have been 19 years old or something. So her boyfriend comes moseying over and then they're having a conversation and she forgot something that she needed in the store. And he goes, oh, just go grab it. Yeah. Target is huge. right? So she takes off to go find whatever random thing she wants. And we, the two people in line now are held up because they're not going to close out their transaction. So then I look at the guy running the register and I'm thinking he can, I know he can like put that order on pause. Yeah. It's not like he has to cancel the whole thing and rescan it. I know because I've seen him do it before where they put they it like on print pause. out a receipt or something. something. With the, yeah. Yeah. And then she, and then he could just run the other woman's transaction and then run mine and we can be out of here. Right? No, he doesn't think to do that. They wait. I'm looking around confused, but the girl who was in line in front of me also being held up didn't seem bothered. She starts yeah. making small talk with the offender and I'm just like, I'm realizing, then the cashier doesn't seem to care. And then I'm realizing I am the odd You're man the out in this yeah. scenario. Like, it's a Sunday morning, everybody's cruising, and apparently I am in a rush always, and I need to learn. Like, I don't fit 
I don't feel at home here anymore in this world that we live in. You know, it's, I just, I'm the odd man out where I think everybody else has a problem. And if you wake up and you go through your day and you think everybody else is an asshole, maybe uh you are the asshole. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so I didn't say anything to anybody. I just sat there kind of waiting to see how this would all play out. And what was crazier is he then gets out of line, walks past me on the end cap. They have those little soda fridges. He grabs two Cokes, takes his time, like looking around which Coke, which soda does he want, grabs two Coca-Colas, brings them back, puts them down, waits for his girl. His girl finally comes back. They scan the final items. He pays and they get out of there. I was like, I literally was held up for two minutes, I'd say, two and a half minutes, right? Yeah. Which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're sitting there fuming and investigating and... Two and a half minutes is an, in, an is eternity. An eternity. You know? I mean, here's the thing, and this is such old man talk, right? This is exactly, <laughs> totally we, is. We, in both these cases, both these scenarios, it is straight old man talk, and it is straight, back in the old days, people were genteel, and mm-hmm. they blah de blah But again, it's, and again, this is, I guess, what our grandparents felt, and why they all just were pulling their, why they're bald, why they pulled their hair out, because... I just don't understand a little courtesy, right? Like a little look around. I'm not the only person in the world, right? And just that. If I feel if we as Americans started thinking there is somebody different than me who may think differently than me and act differently than me and all of those things are okay, but just an awareness, right? Just an awareness. And it yeah. feels like nobody is aware. Everybody is the only person on earth. So... I thought that I went through that exact thought process and I realized I'm the one who is unaware. I thought it was the opposite way. I thought this jerk and his girlfriend are only thinking of themselves and they're being inconsiderate of my time. But when I realized that the woman who was also being inconvenienced in front of me behind them started making small talk with them. Yeah. Like she was like, Oh, so I think that in their world, in their head, maybe they are uh, they are taking their time, but everybody takes their time, and we all do this communally. And this is a communal experience: going to Target, hanging out, talking with people, taking your time, whatever. Like that is a social experience for them. Whereas for me, I'm just I'm beelining out. I'm, I want to get in. I want to get out. I don't want to interact with any of you. In fact, I don't even identify you guys as human beings. Like we're just all robots trying to get in and out as quick as possible. And I'd rather actually go through self-checkout and work with the robot because I don't want to have a human interaction. You know, your, the solution to your problem is very simple. You can start smash and grabbing targets. <laughs> problem solved. <laughs> Dude, I see those videos and I get irate. I'm yeah. like... And I hate, I shouldn't be saying this on air, but I'm like, if the shop, if this wasn't Nordstrom, if this was a small shop, right, the shop owner would have a gun and, and I'm not saying that the shop owner should shoot and kill. But what I'm saying is in the olden days, when that was the consequence, people didn't rob things as frequently and they didn't do it as brazenly. You know what I mean? And so knowing that there's a consequence does actually avert behavior like that. Because in modern society, Nordstrom is actually mandated to not intervene. Let the police handle it. So absolutely don't put yourself at risk, which is probably smart. Don't intervene. But and then the the amount of money that those people steal probably is not enough to actually get a felony charge or something like that. So it's worth it for them to go ahead and do it. 
and they'll just do it multiple times instead because you know, instead of doing it all at once. So the lack of consequence is problematic. They need stricter laws. This is exactly the this episode. You. What what, epi- what episode is this? I don't know. This episode, whatever it is, is when people can listen back historically and say, oh, this is exactly when David Lee and Chaz crossed into old mandom. This is this is when they became grandfathers. Well, and beyond that, this is the most polarizing show ever, <laughs> and it will maybe be the last show ever. This is 2.30, so we're going to end on a round number. Uh, so anyways, Trump got indicted he turned himself in he has a mug shot the mug shot did not disappoint it did not disappoint <laughs> at all my goodness like so, all the people uh, like i'm glad we get to talk about this because i had so many thoughts looking at it i thought every one of his detractors everyone who thinks lock him up and really you know the the trump real haters plenty of them right lots of them uh I don't know how you don't look at that mugshot shot and say, he got us, man. He got us on this one. Like, we wanted the mugshot. We wanted him to be looking scared or, you know, we wanted something. They didn't want that. He looks like, I mean, it is peak Trump, right? It's I don't crazy. know how you, I don't know how you can think that he looks anything, but that he won that round. It It is when you know that Trump's going to have a mugshot and you try to design up like what it's going to look like. He nailed it. It is exactly what you would. It's almost too on the nose, actually. I mean, it's it is so on the nose. It is it is truly. It's funny that you say that. There is those times, like, what I can't. I'm trying to think of like you like some candy is just or or a dessert is so sweet and so like it's just too much. Mm-hmm. Or a song is you like the chorus is just too rich, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's that same feeling where you think. There's no such thing as too much of a good thing, but there is. That, that Trump head uh, mugshot is, but it is like his haters can't look at it and say, what a fool. Because he doesn't look like a fool at all. He looks peak Trump. He looks like cartoon Trump. Right. But he looks like those NFTs that he made of himself as a superhero. <laughs> but he looks like the ultimate villain is what he yeah. looks like in it too. You know what I mean? So like in for those haters that you're talking about who already think that he's a villain, this is peak villain. This is what, this is Lex Luthor to Superman, you know, so. But he's still like bigger than life in it. Which, yes, exactly. The, which I think, so you may, you gave him another opportunity. If you're a hater, a Trump hater, I mean, they're the ones, I guess, feeding the, feeding the fire more than anyone though. Like, just stop talking about him. Like, yeah. that's what he wants, I think. Less than that. That's his biggest nightmare. His biggest nightmare is not jail. His biggest nightmare is that nobody talks about him anymore. That's a good point. And everybody's just shoveling. Every hater is just shoveling talk on Trump. Well, well, the reason why this relates to surfing for those who are wondering where the surf (laughs) talk is uh, rolled up in the indictment and the people who are being prosecuted is one Conan Hayes, who isn't surf adjacent. He is surf centric he is in the middle of surfing he is okay heavily involved in so many important things in surfing in the last 20 years for those who don't know he was part and not a periphery part a direct part of the momentum generation yeah he was the co-founder of ruka even though ruka has scrubbed any mention of conan hayes from its website which is totally weird right like okay obviously he's a persona non grata now you know, whatever. He's caught up in election deniability stuff. But uh, he still co-founded Ruka. You can't yeah. take him off and say, he no, he didn't. Right. Like, it was only PM Tenore. Like, 
Yeah. No. So uh, Conan Hayes co-founded. So I'm going to take people back even further. Um, Chopu might have been one of the very first events that they ran at Chopes. Uh, it at was. Yeah, exactly. It was pumping, in like early 2000s, maybe 2001 or something like that. And it was a. I think bodyboarders had been surfing it for, or you know, bodyboarding it for a long time. But this was like one of the first surf events, and it was freaking big and scary. Not big and perfect, but like storm blowing in, lots of wind. There was like a $3 million yacht that got uh, dry docked on the reef. Um, I feel like there was images of people even jumping overboard off that thing, which I don't know why you would do that if you're dry docked already. And then the reef's <laughs> probably super shallow. So I don't know if those photos, what was really going on, but it was pandemonium. You know what I mean? Like that happens. The waves are crazy. They're running a surf contest. Um, Conan Hayes made the final. He got two tens in the final and still lost <laughs> because they it was a top three waves scored at the time. So Andy Irons actually won the event. So it's this iconic thing. And Conan, like Conan's from the Big Island. He's Shane Dorian kind of cohort that era, momentum generation, like you said but really known for charging like that cemented his reputation as a charger by getting two tens out there that day. What was it? Was it Andy that won? Cause Matt Warshaw calls this the biggest ripoff in surf history. Oh, really? Matt Warsh- and Matt Warshaw points to the great surf historian. Matt Warshaw points to this is possibly where Conan Hayes stopped believing in the system right here. Oh, really? <laughs> Did you guys have a conversation about this recently then? It, it was on Beach Great, yeah. Oh, okay. uh, uh, but yeah, like when like Matt emailed me and said, this is the moment. It was this Funny. Chopu event where yes. he got two tens and lost. And it might have happened. This might be even a different one. They're, I don't know. I'll, we'll have to dig it up. It's on Beach Grit. I'll send it to you and okay. we can re-highlight it. But yeah, Warshaw calls it the biggest judging ripoff in professional surf history. That's funny. Um, oh, uh, no, it was. So in this one, so if it was two tens to Andy, then that wasn't even the biggest ripoff. It was this one was against uh, Kobe Aberton. Kobe. Aber- yeah, exactly. I, I feel like Kobe Aberton was in that final. It was like a yeah, final. Yeah. Yeah. So Kobe. But Kobe was the one who won it. Oh, OK. Yep. Kobe okay. won. Biggest ripoff in pro serving history. There, and the other thing is back in that day footage wasn't super easily accessible. Like, I don't know if we could watch that heat now and then yeah. make the actual judgment. Um, but I love the, the idea that Conan then went rogue after this. He went rogue. He, how do you believe the system? It's all a lie, man. Yeah. It's, it's all a lie. It's so, all fraud. So Conan, uh, I think around that time even founded another company before Ruka called 17. Yep. I remember 17. And he had 17 tattooed across his back. <laughs> Do you remember Epic. this? Yep, completely. Literally across his shoulder blades, the whole word written out 17. They released one surf movie. It was a spoof on Friday the 13th, and it was called Friday the 17th. And it had uh, Jason Weatherly, not Benji Weatherly, Jason Weatherly, <laughs> Greg Browning, who we will discuss Ooh, uh, yeah, later in the show, in the news. and uh, Conan Hayes. And it was like... It was like this little homegrown movement for this clothing brand. He got the tattoo on his back, and then the clothing brand went out of business like within a year or two. Yeah, epic. So epic Conan Hayes. Epic little detour story, but then co-founded Ruka, which went on to become huge, what it is yep. now, obviously. Uh, and at, he sold his interest in Ruka, I don't know when, and basically disappeared. Like you, you, no social media presence, no interviews with him. 
um, really just disappeared from the limelight until his name started popping up in regard to the election fraud. Uh, well, let's let's not forget his other where his name popped up before then. It was in like some other massive uh, tax fraud or something mm-hmm. like that. Real estate, real estate fraud, some kind of thing that. that he did. Yeah, I that he, about that. but they dropped the whatever the Orange County brought charges against him, but then they dropped the charges. So I don't know if he was actually not doing anything bad or hmm. something. Clearly, something or was. A lawyer got him out of it. I don't know. Yeah, something. But he was in the news. He was in. It was that was headlines in Orange County. Yeah. Uh, and then he started running a had like a toy warehouse <laughs> in downtown Los Angeles. And then he disappears until he comes back as election fraudster. Yeah, we forgot to marry or mention he was married to Malia Jones. Sure was. First married husband, to Malia, Malia Jones. Jones. Uh, yep. But so as it relates to this current news story, according to an indictment, individuals tw- individual 27 downloaded copies on Coffee County election data on January 10th, 12th, 13th and February 25th and 26th, the access logs show that an account in the name Conan H was registered to an email address used by Conan Hayes. Um, He was the only one to download data on those days. Hayes, 48 years old and a former pro surfer from Hawaii, now describes himself as a data expert. And he was involved in a broader effort by Trump allies to access election equipment in multiple states. Three officials in Mesa County, Colorado, have been indicted after allegedly allowing him, Conan, to into their offices to copy the sensitive data. He's okay. I've been confused because every day I wake up and I look for his mugshot. Is he not part of the Georgia thing? Is he part of the federal thing? He's not part of the Georgia thing. Okay. Yeah. Dang it. Yeah, I know, because when I saw those mugshots come out, I was like, I, I was looking for him as well. I couldn't wait. I could not wait to see Conan Hayes' mugshot, but no, uh, bummer. Yeah, well, we'll track this story as it develops. Um, I want to hear from Conan. I mean, Conan sounds like a fascinating figure to me. Well, I mean, like him or not, exactly. Or, or agree with him or not, yeah. like, all things aside, he is by far, I'm going to say, in the top five of the most interesting surfers to ever live. Totally. Like Bunker Spreckles, I mean, Mickey Dora, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but he's really in the pantheon. I yeah. mean, there is, there is again, not don't have to agree or disagree with what he did. I'm just saying that story, that tale from everything, all of it, everything you we went through, momentum generation, Ruka, seventeen, Chopu, toys, Chopu, two tens, yeah, biggest ripoff in, in pro fight. surfing history. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Uh, Well, I think that covers that. Um, We'll keep tabs on that story. Another thing that came out last week, right after we recorded, I think the next day, we recorded on Thursday. Sometimes it's Friday. Today it's Friday. But on Friday last week, Tyler Allen uh, got back on Instagram. I feel like his publishing had been a little sparse in recent years, but got back with a banger. Slater taken down or punching Slater design squarely in the nose. Um, tell me about the video, and uh, so listeners who haven't seen it, what did what existed in that video? What happened? The video opens on a young Chinese man chained to the floor, uh, shaping a blank uh, to the tune of Steely Dan's "Dirty Work," singing "I refuse, I, don't, I refuse to do your dirty work no more." To, to Kelly, uh, Tyler, dressed as Kelly, simply just with a bald 
cap, uh, whatever cap on on his head, with uh, his hair just, still coming out from yeah. underneath it, like didn't tuck it in. Yeah, yeah, just thinking about how, like, when your local shaper goes out of business, that's when Kelly comes, makes his Kelly sounds, ka-ching, et cetera, et cetera. Like, the whole thing is very funny. You, Everyone must and should watch it. Just basically spoofing that Slater designs are manufactured overseas, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, lo and behold, who chimed in on the video? Kelly. Himself. Kelly. Chimed in. So Laughing. So you and I saw this video, we got sent this video via text at the same time, right after it had been published. I thought it was getting ripped down right away. Totally. So all of us, we were like, oh my God, this is absolutely going to get flagged. So that's why I bring it up to you today to discuss on air is, uh, I thought it was racist. Well, let let me back up. I thought the reason why it would get deleted was because- Over race. Well, yes, would it would be deemed as racist. I didn't personally think it was racist, but I view everything, I try to view things through the lens of kind of, you know, other people or what modern society thinks or whatever. And I just thought this will be deemed racist, whether it is or not. And so the question that I have for you is, um, I feel like society was on a trajectory for a long time of just getting more uh, absurdist, like, you know, uh, people getting canceled for things that they probably shouldn't have even gotten a slap in the ri- on the wrist about, you know, or the person who um, interprets it as racist. It was never intended to be racist or the joke was misinterpreted by the receiver of the joke, but the receiver is all that matters. The person who interpreted it incorrectly makes a big enough stink that the person loses their job, even though the person that lost their job or made the joke or whatever it was never, ever intended it to be received that way. And so I feel like things have come back a little bit now. Is that your computer or mine? That was it. I can't freaking turn it off. I got off my phone, but Weird. not my computer. Don't worry about it. All right. And so what I what I kind of thought about with that video, and I've then had a couple of other hallmarks in the last few weeks where I've seen people getting away with stuff that they weren't able to get away with before and they're and i think from the um cult the culture or society or whatever might be have have more room for nuance now and more understanding that you know just making a joke that involves or even identifies race isn't a joke about the race or it isn't racist just because it acknowledges race you know what are, your, what are your thoughts on the video? Was it racist, first of all, in your estimation? And what are your thoughts on everything that I just said? Yeah, I mean, so got it sent. And before even responding, I hurried up and, and screen recorded it because I thought this thing is gone in a minute, right? Exactly. It's I didn't think it was racist, but just the depiction of race. Like, you know, the Chinese guy chained to the floor was singing in an exaggerated Chinese accent, yeah. right? Yeah. Which I will not, not attempt to recreate. Uh, which is not offensive. It was part of the joke. It's funny. But you could, I mean, I, I thought so too. I thought this thing is down. But I think a couple things, right? I do think people are tiring. Like even Jennifer Aniston from Friends, she's as benign as it gets, I would think, as a actress, came out the other day and said, I'm so sick of cancel culture, mm-hmm. right? Like she is not a culture warrior. She's not one. It's not like it's Rosie Barr out there, Roseanne Barr. Yeah. Uh, out there, you know, saying I'm sick of cancel culture. Like, so I think generally the culture is, has tired of finger pointing and there's just the slippery slope, I would imagine, is apparent to everyone, even though everyone still slips, it seems like the people wagging fingers most at 
you know, others are the ones absolutely active, actively falling down themselves. I mean, like even in our tiny world, like having surf equity, right, really yeah. wag the finger at us while using the term dead naming entirely inappropriate and then setting themselves up for getting having, you know, trans activists say, you, you just, how dare you take that out of context, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I think people are sick of it. I think culture also is so clunky and slow that that video could very well be erased in three weeks and Tyler Allen will get the Instagram notification that he did made, uh, cause I think it's just a, if like somebody sees it, who's offended, you know, initially it's going to get seen by Tyler Allen followers and fans. And then it's going to go outside of that, outside of that. But if somebody gets wind that, oh, there's a race, a, a video that's depicting Chinese people poorly, you know, and they start tagging it as offensive, then I think a certain amount of those and then Instagram will just rip it down. And so I think it's yeah. a combo of just things moving slowly. So I, I like I have no doubt that that video is still going to get ripped down. Really? Uh, yeah. But it's just going to take a month. In, in two months, Tyler Allen's going to get the notification from Instagram that you posted insensitive content. See, I thought I had hoped that uh, those things can even by the way, even if it is racist or deemed as racist, I had hoped that those things can still exist uh, and conversation can be had around it. You know what I mean? I like we so. don't need to we don't need to burn books, you know, yeah. and it, erase their their existence like we can still identify them as being harmful maybe and then have a discussion about it i would wish i think the squeaky wheel is getting the grease more and more and so you have a small minority of people who raise a giant stink yeah. and then it's not like you know instagram or facebook or anything it's not like it has a soul it's just a robotic thing getting us in trouble and so it's you know stamped out like any conversation i mean look back to the, the straight censorship of, I mean, it's wild. Censorship now is it just an absolute all-time high. The fact that during COVID, agree or disagree, but that you couldn't posit anything that wasn't like straight up big pharma line right. or you'd get banned. I mean, literally banned. Like, again, like him or not, RFK Jr. was on there, you know, talking different theories about stuff and finished. Like, yeah. you are out you, you have no platform to say anything other than party line, right. which is, yeah, and I think, I don't think that has changed. I think that is as great as ever. And so I think, Tyler, expect the slap. Well, let me tease apart a couple of things. You said um, you won't make the overly stereotypical Asian voice. You won't try to recreate it. Yeah. <laughs> he did. So the singing of the song is Tyler's voice. When he's singing the chorus... Oh, really? I thought it was that. I thought it was the it's, Chinese guy singing it. The Chinese guy's voice is at the very end when he's like, Kelly, you know, you, I don't have any money. I don't have any food, all that kind of stuff. That was his voice. But okay. the entirety of the song, he is mimicking Kelly for, you know, the regular stanzas. And then in the chorus, he's mimicking or he's he's imitating uh, overly Chinese. stereotypical Chinese guy's voice. Yeah. So so that's a little detail where you're like, ooh, the fact that you're doing a voice means that you could get in trouble, right? Sure. I mean, I, and I think, he, again, I think he will. I think it'll be slow, and I think it'll, it'll be stupid when he does, right? Yeah. I mean, look at the people's, like, did you uh, follow at all the Bradley Cooper Jewface no. Uh, thing? No, I have you no follow idea this? what this is. Bradley Cooper, actor is doing a movie uh, biopic on, do you call it biopic or biopic? 
that is called a biopic. And then when you're talking about somebody, the race, racial term, it's biopic. The racial term? Yeah. What does that racial term stand for? Person of color? Oh, BIPOC. BIPOC. Oh, that's you're BIPOC. Right. right. That's BIPOC. Yeah. But biopic yeah. for a bio, for a movie. biographical yeah, picture. biographical picture. Yeah. So it is a movie of uh, Leonard Bernstein, right? Who is, I think the movie is called Maestro. Leonard Bernstein, a very famous, you know, you know American composer, conductor. Uh, so Bradley Cooper is playing Bernstein and uh, had a prosthetic nose that was slightly bigger, whatever. And so got slammed for Jewface, right? For doing Jewface, for making a portraying a Jewish character with a big nose. Yeah. And the, so it was all, you know, I mean, it was headlines for a while. And then the Anti-Defamation League finally had to come out and say, uh, Jew face, or like depicting Jews with big noses, Jewish people with big noses, uh, you know, to make them evil and money-grubbing and whatever like that. That's a whole thing. This is not a movie on Leonard Bernstein, who is, you know, being portrayed honorably in all this. So ADL tried to tamp down the controversy. But all to say, back to this thing, is people are just looking for any small little thing to pounce on and feel, uh, feel, yeah, offended by and about. Well, I talked, I actually interviewed Tyler and um, talked about this. And his response to that would be, the people who made the stink and said that is Jewface are the actual racists. Yeah. Because for you to view something and identify it as a stereotype means that you are holding that stereotype. Yeah. Because Bradley Cooper and the makeup team, the arts team on that film, were paying homage. They were doing yeah. something to uh, really honor this person. You interpreting it as an offense means that you view that thing in a negative offensively. light. Yes, offensively. Yeah. And so that's kind of the whole crux and the whole hypocrisy of it is that if you watch that Slater Designs video and you think um, you interpret the joke as being about Asian people, then you're actually the problem because the joke has nothing to do with Asian people. The joke is about outsourcing. Kelly being cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, the joke is about Kelly, but it's also... Uh, you know, identifying outsourcing as a problem and Kelly. Yeah. But it's not about an Asian person at all. That's not even, you know what I mean? I mean, but, but back to Kelly though, real quick here, I was, were you surprised by his response? Yes. I was absolutely shocked by Kelly's response, which was, I think it was a laughing face, face emoji and just said, Oh shit or something. Right. Yeah. Laughing, crying emoji and Oh shit. Said, Oh shit. It was a hand in face or a hand in Face in palm emoji with a laughing emoji. Yeah, which when I saw that, which I had to get sent it, I came not allowed to see Kelly's responses oh, yeah. to anything, being blocked as I am. Uh, then I was like, wow, Kelly, like fair play. Like the fact that you show yourself to have a sense of humor from time to time yeah. makes me like you. Yeah, well, Tyler's response to that was he's not convinced that, t- that Kelly actually saw humor in it. He's thinking Kelly's just trying to pretend like he has a sense of humor yeah i mean ro- like kind of robot kelly the the uh the, truly though because it, it's really funny but it's also very critical it, it's not like a haha kelly's bald or something yeah, yeah. right i mean it's kelly you outsource 
your surfboard manufacturing, because let's not forget, right? It's not just later designs. Kelly is majority owner of Fireware. Yeah. So uh, you outsource your surfboard manufacturing and put local shapers out of business is the what the video is about. Yeah. Well, so Tyler, you know, Tyler, I've never seen Tyler actually take aim directly at anybody, to be honest. Like so many of his videos were just... Um, Surf Vic culture. Victimless, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're lampooning surf culture, but victimless. This is the first one that I can see, remember, where he was, like, actually calling somebody out. But what he was explaining, you know, where the comedy works and why it isn't racist or whatever is that if it is an over-exaggeration of the truth. So yeah. he's like, this is satire, essentially, because um, outsourcing just referring to outsourcing it doesn't mean not out or not all outsourcing involves a human rights violation you know what i mean yeah but kelly's outsourcing and then a human rights violation is the satirical version of what kelly is doing and so that's where the joke is it's an over uh amplified version of what that is and so the fact that kelly would understand that little nuance of like oh we're not actually there is no human rights violations in our factory, but we are associated with versions of this thing where that has happened in the past. So it's not even a joke about us because we're not doing it, yeah. essentially. Yeah. You know? Which I guess... And, and, and he maybe got the that's country the... wrong, too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, because it's Thailand, right, yeah. is where Firewire produces. Yeah. yeah, which, I mean, I suppose that would be the... Uh, if there was a racist part, it would be that. It would be depicting a Thai person as a Chinese person. Like... But the, I mean, I guess the joke is it's a Chinese factory. What it, which I think is probably intentional on Tyler's part as yeah. well. Is like, no, they're not even, we're going to, we're just doing it completely, uh, you know, we're so far, we're so it's far a, spoofing it that it is just like, it's laughable at this point. It's not even related to what Kelly's actually doing. So Kelly yeah, couldn't a, be offended. A parody of a Chinese sweatshop. Exactly. Is what it is. So if Kelly actually got offended, then it would actually look bad on Kelly because it's like, oh, they're shining a light on what we're doing, but this is so far fetched that it's no longer what we're doing. It's funny that he commented, and I would agree with Tyler that he shows that uh, you know I have a sense of humor too, Kelly. Um, but it's like it gave it a kind of a second life, right? Like if Kelly wouldn't have commented, I think you know Tyler's fans and followers would have watched it, and then you know would have we wouldn't probably even be really talking about it right now. I don't think. Yeah, I think it's Kelly's Kelly responding to it made me think, oh, wow. Yeah. Well, again, my walk takeaway from all of this is like, even though you said this will get flagged and pulled down in a couple of weeks from now, two or three years ago, I think this would have got flagged and pulled down immediately. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, and, but again, I don't know that it's people are getting less sensitive. I think it's it, things are taking longer. I don't think maybe. the robot is getting better at its censorship. Yeah. I think it's just like there's so much happening, maybe, and so many people you know, smashing the I'm offended button on everything that it takes a minute for stuff to sort out. Maybe. But could be wrong. Could be. Um, by the way, how good is Steely Dan? Steely Dan? Like, I'm not a fan of Steely Dan at all, but I'm a big fan of that song. I I got to tell you, there's, I've recently rediscovered Steely Dan. I mean, Steely Dan's been in my awareness my entire life, and I encounter their music just, you know, in a, in Target or in the grocery store or whatever it is. <laughs> in Target when you're, you're getting infuriated. <laughs> exactly. And um, I was raised with 
classic rock, you know, and that style of music. But I think I them and Fleetwood Mac and kind of the big names, I just overlooked because I heard them so frequently. But now spending time listening to the music, it's really, really good, dude. Poor Fleetwood lost his restaurant in Lahaina. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, Mick Fleetwood has wow. a, I think it was Fleetwood's on Main or something, on okay. Front Street, something like that, yeah. Bummer. Burned, yep. Well, do yourself a favor. Get some, listen to some Steely Dan. Um, okay, we got a listener line call that relates to uh, this race conversation that we are having. And this is something that I, I've actually gotten probably multiple calls and emails and DMs about over the years, so I think it's time we address it. Great. Hello there. Uh, this is Ren uh, calling from Oceanside. Uh, fun quick fact. I work for LinkedIn and I used to be the guy who set up your LinkedIn.com slash search uh, URL for the longest time. Now I switch departments. I don't do that anymore. But hey, I used to have a giggle every time I did that because obviously I'm a listener and I do surf. So right on. That's how I found out about the show, actually. But anyhow, uh, I'm Brazilian born and raised, been in the U.S. for over 15 years. And I'm calling regarding, like, what in my opinion seems like a discrepancy about uh, the Gabe Medina approach. So uh, I think the week before you guys were mentioning about, uh, you had a John John fan calling out, he's the best ever, blah, blah, blah. Listen, I'm not, a, like, a fanboy of Gabriel Medina. I'm just Brazilian. And I just want to point out that, like, this last week at Chokes, he comboed John John. Gabriel has way better results at Type Masters than John John. He has, like, five finals, if I believe, and a title. So, arguably, Gabe Medina is a better barrel rider than John John Florence. Uh, that's what the results show. I know the results are not live, but anyway. And also, like, I want to point out that, like, you guys barely breezed over that. And I don't think you even mentioned the combo and John John about John John, and there's a huge discrepancy. Me here, I live in Southern California, uh, seeing how international media doesn't understand the Brazilian surfing and Brazilian culture in general, and like how everything's put out of context in a way. And seeing understanding both sides, I wish there was more balance. That I know Chaz has been to Brazil. I know you guys know a lot, but you definitely miss a lot of it from not being born and raised there like I am. Cheers and keep it up. So just kind of a, I think the point is kind of a general dismissal of a lot of Brazilian surfing's um, incredibleness and then like an over fanning out over basically Caucasian surfers like John John. And, uh, and he gives examples, Gabe versus John John, Gabe's smoking him, you know, but all we ever do is talk about John John. I completely agree. And I mean, I think this is great call and thank you so much. And I think having your blind spots pointed out, there's a reason they're blind spots, right? If we were aware of all the gaps in our ability or understanding or worldview, then, you know, you you would address it or not and be aware of it. Uh, I think for me, I mean, it's great. Like, and totally, I feel put in place. I feel you're exactly right. I have a probably like, of course, all kinds of unconscious biases. And 
I think this or I think that without even knowing it, right? And so he's probably exactly right. I probably consider Brazilian surfers less. Just having grown up, I think, especially, let's be honest, like when I started my surf fandom, I suppose, Brazilian surfing looked like, uh, what's his name? Neko uh, Paterats. Paterats. Exactly. And Paterats had a horrible style. I'm sure he's a great guy, but Paterats looked bad, right? And so then Brazilian surfing, professional surfing, kind of got branded by Paterats' style. And then as much as I love the little plumber, uh, Adriano D'Souza was, and you know maybe it's because of my own xenophobia, that D'Souza, I never, I liked his attitude, I liked his pluck, I liked all this, but I never liked the way he surfed, right? And now coming on to this crop of Gabe and Philippe and Idolo, uh, he's like they're phenomenal they are the best in the world and i think i think we discuss that on air uh but rarely do we discuss i think you know style as much and he's exactly right i think well, looking at it uh, yeah i like, think i think that maybe the listener's argument would also be uh the reason why you thought neko why you thought brazilian surfing was all Neko Paterats and associated with bad style was the media, the surf media was, you know, um, Caucasian centric and saw it through that lens. And so they perpetuated those stereotypes completely. So it, it didn't, Brazilian surfing wasn't that it was multifaceted and multi-styled and all that sort of thing. It's just, there's never been representation for it or not, um, you know, accurate representation of it. And that still exists today, you know? Completely. And, and I guess, though, with calls like that and with you and I trying to better like to step back and say, oh, that is true. Right. Like I'll short I'll give stuff a, a short shrift that I shouldn't that I should actually be being, paying attention to um, is, you know, that's how people get better. And how and, and moreover, how the representation of surfing gets better. It gets fuller. Right. right? Like where the fullest representation of surfing possible is the best. What's you know, what is really happening. Yeah. And anytime anybody gets locked into, especially as it relates to not race per se, but like, I don't know, region or country, uh, like that is a smaller, a smaller, less satisfying vision of surfing. Totally. Yeah. And to his point though, we will go on ad nauseum about John John's, whatever it happens to be style and his point is like, look, Gabe, there's just as much to discuss here with Gabe. Um, and maybe not in, in regard to style, but pick a different detail of Gabe's surfing or personality or whatever. And it's there's tons to discuss there. It's just we don't want to discuss it for some reason. That's true. I mean, I will, to his credit, J.P. Curry, Beach Grits uh, tour commentator or uh, analysis uh, or analyst, um, he, he said for a long time that Gabe is, you know, best surfer, his favorite on tour for a long time. Like, he, he will give Gabriel Bonina more ink than all the others combined. That's good. I mean, yeah. honestly, watching that Chopu event, Gabriel Medina, it, it was clear to me that Gabriel Medina is the best surfer we've ever seen at Chopu. Like, he is toying with it. There was waves, I think especially in the final, where he would take off under the lip. You know, the the waves fully breaking and it's super late. And you'd be amazed if anybody else even made the drop. And he's like falling right into position, bobbing and weaving through the barrel, just fully playing with it. And it's 
it wasn't huge chopu, but it was still really, you know, threatening. Six to eight feet, people get hurt out there all the time in those conditions, and he's playing with it like it's a three-foot beach break. And I was like, not only is he the best surfer at chopu, he might be the best surfer at a break. Like, I don't know of somebody who surfs pipeline, somebody lives at pipeline and surfs pipeline that well, or somebody who lives at lowers and surfs lowers that well. Like, he is so dominant at this one spot. Did you make that argument somewhere? Because I read that argument. Was no, it you? I did. Oh, it's that, uh, where was it? Oh, I think it was maybe even, I can't remember. Might have been JP. But anyway, him saying uh, that basically the way he surfs these places looks like he's an expert. He's blowing in. He's not spending any time there, right? Uh, Gabriel is not posting up at either Pipeline or Chopu, and he surfs them as effortlessly and bravely and knowledgeably and cleanly as the specialists, right? Like you don't look at, I don't know who, who's the, who's the, who was the, uh, what's the dude who went into the semis or whatever? Yeah, Miham on a Bray. Yeah, Miham on a Like, you look at a guy like that, who that wave is his life, yeah, right? Yeah. Gabe goes in and looks beautiful, looks looks like that it's his life, too, even though he's there for, what, five days, ten days a year? Yeah. Yeah. It's Which remarkable. Some, something speaks volumes about his talent. To J.P. Curry's point, like, if you're going to just focus on championship tour surfing, Gabe is the most adaptable uh interesting competitive like talented in that realm it's funny to me or interesting to me i suppose i wonder if i mean with his, gabe's personal uh upheaval of the last couple of years him you know the trouble with his parents him getting married then divorced and the the kind of public uh turmoil in his life we had discussed that before is that going to make him a better surfer or better professional surfer or a worse professional surfer yeah I think it kind of shook out that it made him worse, right? Like that it took his focus, I suppose, because there's there's no way to me for my money. I don't think anyone could make an argument, and I would dare somebody to try, that Gabe Romadina is not currently the best surfer in the world. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's he's more complete than John John. Well, no, John John would be the other conversation point. I mean, but I think John John has lost a little pop in small stuff. Like he doesn't have yeah. the, he doesn't have the, like that for whatever reason, right? Maybe he has it inside, just, or just can't get, get it up for, you know, small crappy beach break. Right. Yeah. But Gabriel can, Gabriel will go huck and fly. Gabriel will pull in late on big barreling waves. Like Gabriel Medina is the best surfer in the world, which is funny to think about now that the tour should be stacked and not to get into a bashing WSL, but tour should be stacked to deliver the best surfer in the world at the end, right? It's very clearly Gabriel. It's definitely not Philippe, and yet Philippe will win. I know, it's crazy. But it, like well, when you mean, have that big, I mean, I think, yeah, who, who else? Who else would you say is better than Gabriel Medina in the world? I, I mean, I would make an argument for John John just for the sake of like having a debate, but I totally hear exactly what you're saying. Like, my argument for John John would be that he's got um, rail game that Gabriel Medina does not have. Okay, which so I guess I guess if we wanted to really get in the weeds between the rail and the small wave that prowess. Would, so yeah, John doesn't have the small wave prowess. Gabe doesn't have the rail game. That would be it. Ooh. But I mean, in the past, I would have argued like John John put them in world class surf and John John stands out. But 
to the caller's point, Gabe does too. Yeah, you know? Gabe does. Gabe very much stands out. Gabe stands out too as a, yeah, like he doesn't look like, I don't know, Idolo's performance at the box, the first time he ever surfed, right? That will forever be seared, I think, yeah. in most surf fans' memories. Uh, there was kind of an animal, like the one where he just basically fell out of the sky and grabbed the yeah. bottom, you know, and blah, blah, blah. There was kind of like an, uh, just like a, a savage way that he surfed that, uh, where Medina doesn't have that, right? Like, which I love that too. I love that kind of savage approach to surfing, that completely, uh, what, like instinctive approach to surfing. Gabriel doesn't, Gabriel looks like he's fully sending it and fully in control. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, the listener, I think that our maybe um, Southern California surf media and surf uh, industry represents like it's a it dominates a lot of the space, but it really doesn't represent the entire world's. I mean, there there's so much more surfing going on and fandom going on that uh, is not reflected through this little portal that pumps out a bunch of content, basically, of Southern California. And if you just look at Gabriel Medina's Instagram followers, he has 11 million. John John yeah. has 1.5. You know, I mean, and what so... Is, and what does Kelly have? Kelly has... 2 million, 3 million, yeah. something like that. Yeah, so, I mean, John, so Gabriel is far and away, you know, uh, more popular by those metrics. And so us not representing... Uh, that or reflecting that is not reflective of the world. It's reflective of, like you said, our own short-sightedness or our own, um, everybody has their own preferences and their own things that they like. And we happen to like John, John for whatever reasons, but it isn't reflective of what's happening in the surf world at large, you know, fans like Gabriel. Totally. Well, and I love that, uh, again, I love that we get that call. I love that that caller spends the time and energy to help educate us, right? Yeah. And I encourage any other listener, you, you know, point it out, man. Point out where we are missing because yeah. I want to know too. I want to I want to see things differently and better. Yeah, and I I do I think somebody made a comment about Gabriel like I like him better now, basically. I it was easy to uh dislike, I think for a lot of years. But I do like him better now. And with uh, calls like that, I'm forced to kind of investigate him more. And then I realize, like, yeah, you're right. He is kind of a multifaceted, interesting, dynamic personality. Uh, So, yeah, I'm glad. I like it. Thank you. It's better for surfing, too. Uh, Speaking of finals day, though, and um, Ethan Ewing. We've been talking about he broke his back uh, at Chopu and that he would be out of contention for the title at Lowers. But... Derek Riley wrote an article on Beach Grit that said Ethan Ewing's spinal injury blown out of proportion, and he will surf uh, for historic title world title on Finals Day. And I got a DM from a listener who said uh, he's seen him surfing in the water, and he's like he's back in the water. He's totally ripping. Um, he looks a little bit slow getting in and out of the car and stuff like that. So he's probably not back at a hundred percent, but he's definitely surfing. Wow. Well, there we go. And I mean, this whole story is so weird because it's all the WSL's fault. It is 100% the World Surf League's fault. They Their refusal to even recognize things that happen in real life. And again, I get the HIPAA laws and all that. Like maybe you can't speak exactly to the specific injury. 
it's not against the law to say he was injured we're watching it right and we don't know yet you know we're just watching it we are aware and we're watching it that them not saying anything and pretending like nothing happens then leaves all air in the room for people to speculate wildly about, you know, you have people, I'm a doctor, calling in, and for sure that kind of injury takes eight months to fix. You know, nobody knows any details, of course. Ethan Ewing, like, you do what you want, right? It's not incumbent upon you to release information, but it is incumbent on the World Surf League to give a somewhat of a accurate update on, again, not, you don't need to get into the specifics of he broke his... L4 and L5 vertebrae and which lead, you know, and blah, 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 blah. Just say like update it kind of where we are aware that he's injured. Uh, Instead of just saying, you know, locked, he locked his position in the final five. If he's going to serve final five, phenomenal and fantastic. Uh, But there definitely was, he definitely broke his back and there was definitely question if he would or not. And UWSL, again, jumping on the skiing resetting, not, being aware or open about things that everyone saw is, yeah, I mean, it's just negligent. It's another, they're they're a fake organization. And it's a wasted opportunity for them. You know, this is just, there's tons of news and talking points and uh, building up of their own storylines and all that sort of stuff. Mm, Idiotic. It's too bad Dave Prodan killed serving. (laughs) Totally did. Uh, (laughs) And climate, where did I have his climate article in my notes? No, I did not. Dang it! Uh, I was so excited to get into climate change. I know. Should we talk about it? What was was this? it? The, was it the day Prodan blaming climate change? Yes, that's for what the it was. poor waves. Yeah, yeah. I did not add that to my notes, but I did read the article. Yeah, we so should talk about it. Go, go for it. Here's the thing with climate change. I'm so glad that this is our like. Okay, whether you believe that the Earth is so big and how can people do anything. Uh, Right? Like this greenhouse gas and whatever. Like, I know that, you know, whatever. You're like, you hear the arguments that it's volcanoes and it's, you know, the earth regularly fluctuates through its however long million year history, millions of years of history, you know, climate changes. It's not people's fault. And then you have the people who say, have you, can you believe how much carbon we are spewing into the atmosphere? I see with my eyes hurricanes coming to California, blah, 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 right? I don't know how both both sides are so certain that their position is correct that they're like you fool. Where I think I don't I am I'm not a scientist. I don't know. I I do not know. One thing I do know is probably that spewing a ton of carbon into the atmosphere is not good just for our general health. Even though it, even if it's not related to climate change, like breathing exhaust, right? Like all this kind of stuff. We should tamp down on that no matter what, whether it leads to climate change or not. Uh, being so certain of what, like, everybody's just, like, PhD times 10 experts of the world who have been alive for 7 million years and observed it with their own eyes, right? That's all wild to me. In any case, don't pollute. But also, Dave Prodan blaming bad waves on climate change instead of incompetence is absolutely laughable. Like, the World Surf League fell in love with tourist boards. They fell in love with, you know, I mean... All of the reasons why they sucked, none of it had to do with climate change because there was waves pumping before and after every place they were. And part of it was dumb luck. Part of it was gross incompetence. Part of it was your money now comes from tourism boards, you know, in a lot of places in uh, Salvador and Australia. Like, so you're going to move the tour, Kelly's Pool, 
Like you're going to move the tour to dumb places. Yeah, exactly. Simple. There was a good comment in the comments section on that article that said something to the effect of, um, it quoted Dave from his podcast where he said, like we were plagued by, um, small swell, uh, small swell storms or something like that. And they said, yeah, tell that to Nathan Florence. You know what I mean? Like the winter was not, the season was not plagued by anything. There was pumping surf all over the place. You guys just neglected to find it. Yeah. You, yeah. I mean, you neglected to schedule your events at those locations in the right times. Yep. Sorry, Dave. It was not whether, whether you believe in climate change or not, or man, I should say man induced climate change. Right. Uh, Dave Prodan is killed surfing. Yeah. Uh, how did you spend the hurricane speaking of? Um, Nah, mostly just indoor. I mean, the sun, first of all, there wasn't really a hurricane, right? <laughs> I mean, we literally got a day of rain and it wasn't that much rain compared. I mean, we got more rain a couple months ago and there wasn't any wind. So it wasn't much of a hurricane. I mean, I was on a sailboat oh, and yeah. people were rage filled, rage filled about you foolish fools. Like where I was thinking, man, I ain't reading the New York Times headlines about this thing. We're actually getting our data from our sail data from Windfighter and whatnot, right? That shows, I don't know, 80 mile an hour sustained winds at the eye of the hurricane that was going to dissipate and, you know, was calling for like, I think maximum basically 18 mile an hour winds, which we didn't even get with five foot seas where we've sailed in way stronger winds and way higher seas. And so it wasn't like this you know, oh, we're going to be adventurous. And this is, you know, just schedules the sale happened to have been scheduled weeks ago. It's hard to change schedules these days, right? Kids, whatnot. Like we're just, oh, it's, it's going to be great. might be fun sailing weather. And people's rage at you are putting a strain on the system. You, I, I hope you, if you were going to sink, I hope you were going to call the Coast Guard kind of stuff. Well, you, wow. All of you are ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. And so how was it? It's mellow. I mean, we like got out to, uh, yeah, we didn't, it it was a poorly planned sale, even though it was apparently planned for weeks, but, uh, we were just going to go, uh, get a mooring ball in Avalon because the long story, the windlass, the thing that brings up the anchor is busted. And so we got to drag the anchor up by hand, which we've done like maybe four times now, which is the, can you imagine dragging an anchor off the sea floor hand over hand? It is. Yeah. And it's a 70 foot boat, so it's not a small anchor and with a lot of line. But anyway, we we're just going to get a mooring ball and have dinner in Avalon. But the harbor master, when we got to Avalon, was just like laughed at us basically and said, it's, everything is closed. And Be- so we. Because of the hurricane? Of course, because yeah. of the hurricane. And so we whipped around and went back to Newport and had dinner and then it rained on us. And then that was that. Yeah. People, the day before it was supposed to show up, um, people were like cleaning out grocery stores. Yeah. You know, like insane. It, it was totally insane pandemonium. On, and, on the way down to the sale, I made sure to fill up the car with gas, not because I thought that there was going to be a problem because I knew that people were going to start panic gas stationing. Yeah. And it was, it was going to be, and I needed gas. And so I might as well, you know, and we needed it anyway, but didn't wait till the day after because I knew that, Oh, people are going to start hoarding gasoline. Yeah, and it lasted, the storm, quote-unquote, or the hurricane, quote-unquote, lasted one day. So It, it, it was, was 
it was raining when I was driving back home. I, I think I was driving home Sunday afternoon. Yeah, Sunday, like, late afternoon. Yeah. Driving home, 5 freeway. People in the fast lane going 40 miles an hour with their hazard lights on. Oh like, it was, it was raining. It was literally only raining. Yeah, people are insane. uh okay super sad story uh broke in the news world this week greg browning has been diagnosed with als um greg browning momentum generation surfer phenomenal style i mean my first introduction to greg browning was in taylor Steele's film good times yeah and i loved that section because greg he would do these blowout turns Maybe you could call him a layback, but it wasn't exactly a layback because I don't know. Like I don't know, Timmy Kern would hit the end section and go into a layback and then get up. But Greg's was like just an explosion, explosive turn off the lip. There'd still be open face on the wave or whatever, but he would just hit it so hard that the fins would go flying out and his feet would come off the board and then he would land. You know, he'd go into a layback and then get back up. And I was like, man, he is so exciting to watch. Um, and then transitioned out of a professional free surf career into a really amazing film career mm-hmm. uh, with his drive through series, I think was what kicked it off. Uh, and then he's been working with Carissa Moore, Tatiana Weston Webb, traveling around the world with them as part of the support team and filming and all that sort of stuff. So uh, long and storied surf career diagnosed with ALS, which is an absolute bitch of a disease, Um, progressive neurodegenerative disease that affects nerve cells in the brain and the spinal cord. Essentially, uh, nerve cells break down and they reduce the functionality of the muscles that they support. So there is medication, there is therapy that can slow ALS, ALS and reduce discomfort, but there is no known cure. Big, big disaster. Yeah, the times that I've had the pleasure of being around Greg Browning, he's like, can't have and meet a nicer person, right? Great dad, like, epic, epic, epic human being. And yeah, it's just, man, when stuff like this comes along where it's not like, yeah, like you just know what it is, right? ALS, everybody's either known somebody or at least been aware of the, like, these degenerative diseases. Oof, and yeah, I do. And what do you do, right? Like, I guess what you, we all can do is throw some money at his GoFundMe because I think it's definitely was up on Beach Grit. I'm sure we'll have it up on the podcast page yeah. uh, because it is, you know, expensive and can be a bit lengthy. I I think. Yeah. Uh, which is a bummer in America. Anytime something like this happens, but that's what like. Our health system now consists basically of GoFundMe's. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. We um, live in, I mean, talking about, back to the start of the show, peak evolution. This is the most advanced humankind has ever been mm-hmm. in the history of the humankind. This today is peak advancement. And we're GoFunding each other's medical bills. Yeah, because... An inhaler costs $250 if you don't have medical insurance. I mean, no joke. So, yeah, it's crazy. But, I mean, this is a sad story for me because I didn't know a lot about ALS. Um, I still don't. But I listened, uh, I don't know, six months ago, I happened to be listening to a podcast. And somebody was on there telling their story. I think it was um, How I Built This. And so the founder of whatever the company was was talking about his story of how he built his company. But... His co-founder 
developed ALS. So that became part of the story was him uh, explaining what ALS was and dealing his co-founder dealing with it and how, you know, he's, they were best, best friends. And so basically watching his co-founder deteriorate and all that kind of thing was gave me a real um, understanding of how tragic the disease is. And, um, you know, to have somebody who's like fully high functioning, um, successful, being kind of dismantled by a disease like that just is is an absolute tragedy. So uh, hearts and thoughts go out to Greg, who everybody says. I mean, you read every post, and the first five sentences are like, Greg is the nicest human being on the planet. He truly is. He truly, truly is. So I saw, so a friend, a listener of the show sent me a post. He goes, man, you want to see something really sad? Read this post from Greg on January 8th. So six, eight months before diagnosis, right? Greg posted this. I'm going to read it to you. It was an image of his chin split open after a surf session. And Greg wrote, today started out great. Just Parker and I out at one of my favorite waves, glassy, four feet and really clean. I would love to say that this all happened trying to do the turn of my life or pulling into a little runner, but it did not. I paddled into a set and tried to stand up and I had no strength in my left arm to get up and ended up dropping in on my stomach and taking the lip to the head at the bottom of the wave. I have been having crazy weakness in my left arm, including shoulder and fingers, half strength at best. I have been trying to self-diagnose for the last month, but no luck. Ha ha. The doctor this morning said it could be nerve related. So weird to surf your whole life and then not be able to barely stand up. Whole new perspective, end quote. Oof. Ah, that's a gut punch right there. That's exactly what I wrote back to the listener who sent that to me. I said gut punch. Oof, yeah. It, you sink. You read it and your stomach sinks. Yeah. Seeing kind well, of, in real time, somebody kind of dealing with the complications of it. So. Oh, man. Well, yeah. Prayers out to Greg Browning. Yeah. And we will, of course, link to that GoFundMe uh, in today's show page, so... Well, on that somber note, shall we take a commercial break? Come back with Daryl or not? When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, 
totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Chaz, we are back from commercial. Um... Anything that we need to catch up on before we go to Barrel or Nah? We're good. I think we've done, I feel, I'm trying to think of what the yeah, finals day is coming up, but who cares? Not I'll, anytime soon. I'll tell you something that we catch up on. Um, what? Since we talked about Greg Browning's GoFundMe, uh, Maui Fires, the Timponi family on Maui and I have set up a little um, donation thing. They built a surfboard and they're going to give it away. And um, great, yeah, we're directing donations through their Venmo page, so I'll link to that. It's actually linked on my Instagram bio line, so go to at Surf Splendors Instagram, click on the there's two links in there one to our website, and then one directly to the Venmo. And their hundred dollar donations are what we're asking for. And then in one week from today, the final day of uh, August, they're going to pick one of the donors and give the board to that donor and pay for shipping and everything. Fantastic. So what they're doing though, is um, they've picked 20 families on Island. So the Timponis, Jeff Timponis, the father, he's been building surfboards for 50 years. His son, Nick is the laminator and um, they've identified 20, they, but they live on hike in Haiku. So the opposite side of the Island, they did not get affected by the fires, but they've identified 20 families on Island who do need help in the form of, you know, lots of different types of help, but cash. Cash is important right now for those families uh, to have direct access to be able to feed themselves, shelter themselves, rebuild, all that sort of stuff. So we're doing cash donations. 100% of the proceeds go to 20 families. Everything that comes in in this week will be divided by 20 and given an equal part to 20 families directly. Not to an organization, not to an intermediary, but 20 families that the Timponis know and have identified on island. So, I love it. Yeah, and if you give, by the way, if you give you know a thousand bucks, you get 10 entries into the surfboard giveaway. So it's a beautiful board. Uh, in the Instagram post that we did last night, uh, it showcases that board be- being built from start to finish. So go check that out. And if you're so inclined, contribute a hundred bucks Great. or more or less, by the way, you know, you might not get an entry into the board, but if you only have 10 bucks, do the 10 bucks knowing it'll go directly to the families. All right. Barrel or nah presented by Buell, BuellSurf.com. Of course, First one comes from a listener. He says, hey, guys, just driving to the beach here on a Saturday with the two kids in the back of the car, and I saw somebody drive by with just married written on their rear window, along with a Venmo and cash app. 
names. Basically soliciting random wedding gifts from the public. I'm going to leave this to my two favorite tastemakers. What do you think, barrel or nah? No barrel, David Lee Scales. No barrel. I mean, can you imagine in front of your wife doing this? The audacity. We're married, but I have no dignity, and I'm asking for people to help. The audacity on either side, either like this is bad, husband to wife, this is bad, her saying, I want nicer things, you're not going to be able to afford it, you do this now, we're doing this now, or them together thinking, want to know how we're going to get a little extra cha-ching, we're going to do this, it's going to be really cool. Horrible idea, I bet they saw it on some dumb TikTok trend or something totally. too, like they didn't come up with the idea, they got it from a bad place. And they're putting it to use in a bad place. And I hope we can squish it here forever. This is directly related to our opening of the show of the downfall of civilization. Yes. Beggars. Without Beggars driving around. Without dignity, we have nothing. I mean, yeah. society evolved for a long time to get to a point to where, you know, we're not hand to mouth anymore. Like we have, we can kind of uh, rely on. There's a system in place for us to get food. There's a We have shelter now. We have electricity. We have indoor plumbing. So now let's start operating with a little bit of dignity. Except these people are shirking all of that and just being like, no. I really wish that our dear caller would have snapped a picture of it because I would Venmo in a request for money from them. I would Venmo in a $100 request for being so offensive. Like, this is basically your ticket. I'll put it to good use. I'll send it to Maui. But uh, you are fined for this behavior. The shocking thing is no dignity. Like, to, to, to not understand that you look a certain way to everybody else that you drive past is shocking to me. Here's the problem, though. Are we, yes. you, in the target line? And <laughs> yes. is everybody else driving by thinking... Oh, that's cute. Look, they just got married. Hey, honey, throw them 20 bucks. I think so. I think yeah. everybody is that, and we are we are the dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that we're offended by this indicates that we are the dinosaurs. Because, like I said, just like the target line scenario, this is just a sweet kid living in a society of sweet people. We all help each other here. This is what yeah. we do in society. We're all friends. We're all going through this as friends in this experience, this social experience together. And I'm driving by going, no, I earned mine. You go earn <laughs> yours. Screw you. I will not. I mean, a wedding. I mean, again, it, people need help. The Greg Browning story, the like people do need help and we're, it's okay to help those people, but this is just a wedding. You know what I mean? Like, it's still no barrel. I'm, st- I'm standing on principle on this one. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Definitely no barrel. Public solicitation for wedding funds or gifts, no No barrel. barrel. I even have a problem, to be honest, with like a, a gift whatever registering. Registry. Yeah, gift registry. Like, I don't like any of that stuff. Like, you're telling, you're saying I'm getting married and you're telling me what to get you. Like, wedding gift, all fine and good. You registering, yeah. you saying... I'd like this, and this is pretty cool. And then the people who put the fancy, extra fancy things just to see if somebody will fall for it, right? right. Like, no. I don't know how that ever came to be. Yeah. Uh, because, like, what? Like, the hassle of getting two mixers <laughs> is so great. And I can't imagine anymore at weddings. I mean, unless you're a 18-year-old kid, which nobody's getting married, like, 
fresh out of high school right now anymore, right? Yeah. Like average age of probably getting married in the United States is probably like 30 or something, yeah. right? Nobody's buying people mixers and tableware anymore for wedding. People are just either giving money or, you know, whatever. I mean, maybe in some podunk town they're still doing that. But, uh, yeah, you registering because you don't want two mixers. I agree. I was just trying to think. Lauren and I got married uh, a year ago. We did not create a registry, and I don't think we even got a wedding gift from anybody. Yeah, yeah. Because it's our second marriage, and it's like, I mean, we could have solicited for it, and people would have, but it was like, no, we're not going to go through any of that. First of all, we don't need it because it is a second marriage and we're older, but no, done with it. No, done with it. Um, Second barrel or not, interestingly, kind of relates buying a fake diamond for your significant other no barrel david lee scales no barrel if like diamonds i think by and large are whatever like i'm not a diamond fan to begin with right the the price we can get into it de beers and all this the price is completely artificially manufactured of what a diamond is like it's completely inflated, not based on scarcity, et cetera, et cetera. It's based on there is a monopoly, a diamond monopoly. They own all the diamond mines in the world, basically, and all the diamonds. And so they just keep them hidden. And so then you go pay all that aside. And they're not the most beautiful stone either, right? I mean, right. they're fine enough. They're just clear looking. Uh, so A, don't get a diamond. Get something interesting. Get something with, uh, like, go look around, see... What is the stone that appeals to me? What's a stone that that I like, right? Uh, if you're not going to do that and get a diamond, then get a diamond. But getting a fake diamond, you're getting a fake thing of not the greatest thing to begin with already just for clout, right? I mean, and... So you're still di- buying into the De Beers yeah. thing. You're just yep. trying to subvert it. Which, again, back to dignity. I mean, I like that this show really was, at the end, was about dignity, David Lee Scales. Like, when I see somebody in line with a fake Louis Vuitton bag or something, something that you know is fake, right? Like you can clearly see it's fake. I think that's fine. You're playing up, right? Like this is, or you're, you're playing. But if you think that anybody's tricked, like just be you, be well, you. Well, you buying a fake thing is not being you. I couldn't even identify a fake anything, to be honest, but everybody's, People are going to lie to you all the time. The media is going to lie to you. You're lying to yourself in that scenario. You don't yeah. need to lie to yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the only thing that you're doing with a fake is trying to fake other people out, but you're tricking yourself, you know? So it's funny that you know as much as you do about diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> if you would have given me this barrel or not nah a week ago, I would have been like, absolutely don't buy the fake diamond but i watched a documentary uh i think it was called um nothing lasts forever is what it was called and it is all about the lab grown diamond industry so i think that there was crappy fakes for a long time but now they can grow diamonds in a lab and there's no machinery that can identify the difference between a lab grown and a real diamond. So lab growns started making their way into the real diamond market with, and uh, now, you know, there's claims that there's 50% of the diamonds that exist through 
legitimate retailers and everywhere are, are lab grown. Lab grown and nobody knows. Yeah. And the GIA, the experts with their little loop that they look at the, you know, they can't tell and machines can't tell. So it's just, it's all a hoax. It was entirely a hoax, like you said, from the get-go. Like, the whole marketing behind the diamond was the reason people were buying diamonds, not because of scarcity or this is the most beautiful thing that the earth can generate or any of that. That was all storyline that people bought into. And those people were anti-lab-grown diamonds because they say, what the hell? Like, you can't just make this up. And they're like, you guys made something up so we can make something up too. Like, you're just, it's one story versus another, right? So at the end of the documentary watching, I was like, I'm never going to spend money on a diamond again. And if we need diamond jewelry for whatever reason or feel like we've earned it and, you know, the lab grown is just as good. It's just as beautiful. It's just as pure. It simply was made in the lab instead of not in the lab. But again, I mean, I think with the same reason that you buy a real Louis bag versus a fake Louis bag, even one if a Louis bag looked identical to the uh, to the real one, it's because of the craft, right? Like you want that story, I think. I think you want the story. And the story De Beers was selling about diamonds being the millions of years and all that, right? Yeah. Like in the earth. That's a, that's a story that I would want that story versus the, oh, you know, even if it looks the same knowing that this thing was baked for however long in the earth's crust. Yeah. But again, no diamonds for anybody. People should be over diamonds at this I point. I agree. Like if, I'm anti-diamond now. Yeah. If your girl if you're, wants a diamond, just explain to her. Explain to her, this is fraud and your love is not fraud. And so have her pick, hey man, sapphires are beautiful. Emeralds are beautiful, right? There's a lot of beautiful stones out there. Have her pick something cool. Yeah. I agree. I'm full anti-diamond now. Yeah. It sounds Boo diamonds. Again, curmudgeonly old man. Like <laughs> this is like really the turning point for the show. Honestly, like, is. the fact that I've turned against diamonds is a real indicator here. I think I think we could get a depends uh, sponsorship for the show. I think we could get a like uh, what's that uh, ensure. Yep. The yeah, calorie. Yeah. I think yep. we got a whole we we're opening up a whole new line of potential sponsors. Yep. Yep. I, that would that might step on our drinkag1.com slash surf. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. That's great for old people. Okay. All right. They can go. You can drink both. Yeah. <laughs> um final barrel or naw, giving your shaper a, a gift when picking up your surfboard. Barrel. So barrel. So I think this has gone a little bit the way of the dodo. I don't think people do this as much anymore. When I was young, it was like, you have to show up with a six pack of beer if you're going to a shaper's shaping bay. It was just like, you did it automatically. Even if you're not picking up your surfboard, that's just what you brought. And I feel like this does not happen anymore. And I would argue that not only should it be happening still, but let's expand the aperture beyond a six pack of beer. The Here's the thing here with, and I totally agree with you, when somebody is... This is not a person, so this is not, this is a craftsman, right? This is somebody who has a specific skill set that, and they are spending time, you know, and energy doing this thing for you. And I think the thought of, yeah, they have a specific skill set and I'm paying them money for that. I'm buying the surfboard, right? Is, I don't think that's enough. I think for craftspeople, 
I think you're exactly right, that there needs to be something, there needs to be an extra appreciation of the craft. Yes. Of, yes, I appreciate your craft and that's my money, but also I have extra appreciation for it and this is my ex, you know, even as small as beer, bottle of wine, a something. A gratuity. Because because they've earned a gratuity based on what you're saying, but it's... Uh, this is one of the industries or one of the jobs that you don't tip for. Yeah. And it would be, and they've set the price. And so it would be rude maybe to tip, uh, you know, on that. But a gift is appropriate. And by the way, they've undercharged. Surfboards are generally underpriced. And so this is a craftsman. They don't get paid enough for their work. So they deserve a gratuity. Yes. And 100% I 100% agree. But I think this, I think this extends beyond, you know, to like kind of any expert in their field that you're either getting time from or energy from like ballet teacher right i pay a hefty amount for ballet but i also get give regular gifts or appropriate appropriately regular gifts to kids ballet teachers because of the effort and time they are putting in they they have you know through their years of work and training and now they're sharing that and that is they're they're owed something extra for that and there's a relationship in place in mm-hmm. both those scenarios. You're interacting with that ballet teacher regularly, and that relationship crafts the dynamic of the daughter's experience. Same thing with a surfboard shaper. It's an ongoing relationship, and uh, the product that you get is a reflection of the dynamic of that relationship. And so I think a thoughtful gift is where it, it needs to be thoughtful. So the six-pack of beer, again, that's fine too, but... Follow them on Instagram, and if you see that they're cooking regularly, then maybe get them a cooking-related gift. Get them a nice kitchen knife, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. That's what I want to see. The real truth of the matter is you, at the end, are the beneficiary, yes. right? Like, because you, like, wife always tells me when I'm cooking, cook with love, right? Like, I oftentimes don't. I throw things in a pot and stir it and slap it on plates and say, eat. Uh the cooking with love, though, you get a better product. The food is better. Maybe takes a little more time, takes more energy, takes more consideration. Equally, if you're gifting your surfboard shaper or whoever, the craftsman in your life, you are going to get a better product. Totally. Totally agree. Very barrel. Barrel. Gift. Your sur- it doesn't need to be expensive. needs to be thoughtful. Thoughtful. S- yes. Gifts for surfboard shapers. Speaking of uh, eating, you know where I'm having dinner tonight? Where? The Magic Castle. Oh, have you? Have we discussed the Magic Castle here? We may have, but I, I've never been before. You've never been. I've done the Magic Castle one time, I think. It is peak nerd, but I guess like kind of a almost forgotten style of nerd. I think we've taken now tech people to be the biggest nerds, right? Yeah. Whatever. Like Mark Zuckerberg to me is when I picture a nerd, I picture Mark Zuckerberg. No matter how much. Brazilian jiu-jitsu or wake surfing he does. Mm-hmm. He just like is has the face of a nerd, right? Totally. Uh, going to the Magic Castle, you go back in time to the way nerds were in like the 1970s who played Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons and practiced magic because they'll be milling around and stuff. And the magic, it, it truly is like I'm one of those dumb people. I think we have discussed magic in general. Yeah. I'm one of those really like boobs. I guess, who will see a magic trick and, like, have no idea how in the world. Like, Buddy sent one the other day of, uh, it was like a spirally shaped stick, 
and it was like this stick uh, can crawl up water or something right that and it, it was like a hose pouring and the stick was like like up hmm. and I was like it didn't even occur to me that there was like a fishing line or something. <laughs> like I was like, how in the world? How in the world do you do you do that? That's the way all magic. I'll look at it and have no concept of how it's even yeah. begun to be done. But I love to marvel like a child. Yeah, no, it's like whoa. Like I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't uh, look for magic. Like I don't go to magic shows or whatever. But I have been in Vegas and went to one because that was what you did. And I, I loved the experience. And so yeah. the Magic Castle, for those who don't know, is uh, a castle in Los Angeles that's iconic. It's been there forever. And I think you even have to have an invite to get in. Yeah, I, I think you do. Or you have to have a member has to invite you. I don't know, because I think you, anybody can go now. Right? Oh, okay. I don't know. Or maybe not, even. I think yeah, you, I mean, I think it, it used to be that way. Somehow. It, it used to be an invite thing, but I think you can, like, get an invite. There's some way, a workaround, I think, yeah. if you're interested in going to the Magic Castle. Well, we're going a group of, like, Who, eight on whose On whose behest? I don't... So I don't know how we got the invites or whatever, but it's um, my sister-in-law's birthday. So it's a group okay. of, like, eight of us. Um, and so... Yeah, this castle exists, and then there's magic. And I don't think it's like a stage show. The way I understand it is there's magic in different rooms. So you kind of meander through the castle, and you like can go watch this show there or that show there. And then dinner's involved at some point. So there, if, if I recall, my there was a stage show, too. Like, there is magic happening in the corners. Okay. But then there is a specific... Okay. Designated like somebody, time to go. Yeah, designated time and place where people are performing their magic. But it's the really the best thing to do is just watch, the, is people watch. Like the magicians specifically, because they, to join the magic castle, you have to be a magician, right? right? Like right, right, right. to be to be part of the magic castle, like to be whatever. And then I think you can go hang out there and whatnot, you know, but on your th- off hours. That's right. That's why it exists. I didn't say that, but that's why it exists. Is it's like a training ground? It's like Hogwarts or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's a training ground for magicians, and. They have all these activities that they do throughout the day, I think, like training or academies or whatever. And then they've at some point opened it up to the public for kind of a dinner theater type thing. But that's not the main business. Are you, and that's tonight. I think we're going tonight. Exciting. Have you looked at the menu? No, I don't, I don't, even, I don't know if it even exists online or anything like that. Mm. I haven't, well, I haven't yeah. investigated it at all, but I'm excited. I'm excited to hear the report back next week on your experience with the Magic Castle. Do a magic theme show next week. Great. We, <laughs> if we don't get canceled. <laughs> I, think we, I think we steered clear. I think we stayed pretty safe. I think so, too. It wasn't as controversial as I thought it might be. Dang it. Again, we can discuss race and politics now because society has evolved. Yeah. Maybe we'll get canceled Peak. down the road. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, uh, Buell Surf. Thanks, uh, Sunbomb. Man, oh, man. I'm loving me some sunbum. It's so good. It is so good for all, not just your sun care needs, for all of your shampooing, every kind of need that you have. Skin care, hair mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who's on the sunbum team? A who's who, who of surfers. Jack Robinson, Felipe Toledo, Caitlin Felipe Summers. Toledo. So list goes they used on. To make, they used to make little toys. They looked like gorillas, except they were Felipe Toledo and whatnot. Oh, yeah. And those were when daughter took a bath. That's what we'd play with Julian Wilson and Felipe Toledo. And, yeah, they had went on Chris and Moore. They all went on big adventures together in the bath. Man, speaking of that um, podcast, How I Built This, they did an episode with the founder of Sunbum, uh, oh. and it was incredible. Like, that guy's story was unbelievable. He invented, he invented the 
uh, Taco Bell Chihuahua, the Yokiero Taco Bell, like that was his campaign. Wow. Yeah. And then they Genius. Ripped, they stole it from him. So like he was, he had this little marketing agency, him and his buddy, and they were at a convention and the Taco Bell people came over to their booth and they started working with them. And the process was two years long of like working with them and crafting that Yokiero Taco Bell campaign with a mascot that was the Chihuahua or whatever. And then they stopped returning his calls and three months later he started seeing Yokiero commercials. Oh. And so he took them to court and he won like, a crazy amount of money, like $400 million or something like that. Great. Yeah. Like I he, love it. they were going to just drag it out through court and like bankrupt him essentially. And so he went through the process and he spent four or five years in court. And in the end, they ended up having to pay him some crazy colossal amount of money. Well, it's, so. it's Taco Bell. I'm not going to eat there anymore now. I know. I don't anyway. So, no, but, but he went on to do Sun Bum after that and look at them now. I mean, phenomenal all right well hey great show beachgrit.com is where you get uh all of chaz's things and then surfsplendorpodcast.com and then of course make a donation to the uh, tim pony surfboard to help 20 families on maui recover and rebuild so do that on at uh, surf splendor on instagram click through the link in the bio all right chaz until next week bon voyage